I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. It's been a little over a month since billionaires revealed their plan to build a new city in southeast Solano County. For years, tech investors quietly spent $800 million to buy 55,000 acres of land there before finally sharing renderings of what this dreamland might look like. Hillside neighborhoods, narrow streets of cafes and farm stands, workers installing solar panels, kids riding their bikes on tree-lined streets. It's kind of utopian, right? It's called California Forever. California Forever has made a lot of big promises. Well-paying jobs, open space, walkable neighborhoods, and good schools. It's not the first time that city builders near the Bay Area have made those kinds of promises. When you're driving down the Altamont Pass from Alameda County, you glimpse a whole bunch of houses on the left and probably wonder what the heck is going on. That's Chronicle urban design critic John King. He's referring to Mountain House, a city in San Joaquin County that's about 60 miles east of San Francisco. It was built from scratch two decades ago. When the plan to build Mountain House was first approved in 1994, the rhetoric sounded a lot like what we're hearing with California Forever. Today, nearly 30,000 people live in Mountain House, residing on former alfalfa and cornfields. The city's YouTube channel boasts about its enjoyable and family-friendly community. We moved to Mountain House because of the community with lots of children. Every house on my street has kids. I live in a cul-de-sac. My kids can go outside and play. I feel safe. But John King says, not so fast. You can't just unroll a perfect city. Today on Fifth Emission, John shares the lessons that California Forever should learn from Mountain House. He'll discuss what it's like to live there and which promises the city fulfilled, as well as its shortcomings. Here's my conversation with Chronicle urban design critic John King. John, there's been a lot of news recently about California Forever, the new proposed city in Solano County that's been accumulating land with money funded in part by wealthy Silicon Valley investors. Tell me, why did you want to look at Mountain House to understand the potential and challenges of building a town from scratch? If you look back to the early 90s, the Bay Area was already spilling over the traditional borders and more and more commuters were moving out to San Joaquin County to drive in. So the idea in San Joaquin County and by the developer of Mountain House was if we take a lot of farmland that's not very good farmland, it was just alfalfa fields, and we turn it into a nice self-sufficient community with lots of jobs related to housing and so on and so forth, we could kind of keep sprawl out of San Joaquin County by building a place where employers would move and where workers could live. And so you'd have just this ideal new city where people could live their whole lives if they wanted to. Mm. Now, for listeners who've never visited Mountain House, can you paint a quick picture of it for me? What does it look like? What you have is essentially a very decorous suburbia 21st century style. All the houses are traditional looking houses. There's lots of drought tolerant landscaping wrapped around it. It is divided into 12 neighborhoods. And then each of the neighborhoods has an elementary school at the heart of it. And the idea is that you live in a neighborhood, your kids can walk to school in that neighborhood. 
there's a little block of shops and things alongside the park and elementary school at the center. And you can have a self-contained community if you like. As suburbs go, it's very pretty to drive around. The older neighborhoods that date back to the early 2000s, the trees have kind of settled in. Not ambitious, but pretty looking landscape. The thing is, that's about all that's there. You have neighborhoods packed with housing, and then you just have empty fields, which is where the next neighborhood's coming. And you have empty fields where the main street is supposed to go up with shops underneath three or four or five stories of housing. So what you have is about seven really well-developed residential neighborhoods and a lot of empty land. What kind of opportunity was presented to developers of Mountain House being able to master plan a design for a community that maybe wouldn't be presented in in any other sort of scenario? That's a great question because it gets at why I thought of this when the Californian Forever News started. The idea is rather than kind of working amid the current rules and working next to neighbors and things like that, you're starting with a blank slate, unincorporated land, nobody lives there. You can create a well-planned community that fits your desires and you can get everything approved so it'll just be built out in an orderly basis and you won't have neighbors fighting every single proposal the way you do in traditional cities like San Francisco or San Rafael or Berkeley. You know, it's a very beguiling vision to developers, and then it's also attractive in theory to a lot of planners, because this way you can do a holistic neighborhood from the start. California Forever, the vision in Solano County is making some really big promises, including good-paying local jobs and homes in walkable neighborhoods. Does it sound familiar to what was said about Mountain House when they started selling homes there in the early 2000s? Absolutely. California Forever feels so much more carefully branded than Mm -hmm. Mountain House did, but Mountain House built itself as the town of tomorrow today. It really pushed fiber optics so you'd be fully connected, even though you were arguably in the middle of nowhere. The lead developer was saying, this isn't sprawl, we're building a new city from scratch. And that very much is what California Forever's people are talking about. Well, today, Mountain House is home to about 30,000 people and new single family homes there start around $900,000. How has Mountain House lived up to those original promises? In terms of the well-rounded community, it hasn't even come close. I mean, here you have a community that hits 30,000 residents this year. The first shopping center with a Safeway opened last winter. In terms of jobs, there are about 1,500 people who work there. And the idea was a one-to-one jobs housing balance. And that's nowhere near. And most of the people working there are the teachers and administrators and janitors in the elementary schools. And this is where it gets complicated and why I had such fun reporting this piece. The people who live there really like it. Hmm. And they really like it because you have nice homes and the schools have great test scores. If you're looking for the suburban dream, you've got 
good schools for your kids. You've got a nice new house. And, you know, if you have to drive an hour a day each way, which is the average commute time, well, you can live with that. Hmm. Right. And you spent some time in that community, visiting it on evenings, the weekend. What does it look like? Does it feel like a true community? During the day, it feels like a ghost town and not in a decrepit sense. You know, I'm driving down pretty streets and they're all empty. I'm walking around the Central Park. Nobody's there. You know, and it's been restored in a way that has nice trails along nice trees, you know, and it's pretty much just me walking along out there. But if you go after work on a weeknight, you see the smart planning and potential of the neighborhoods, which is that you've got these parks and they were just filled, you know, in some cases, like with kids or young people shooting basketballs or kicking around a soccer ball, but also there are lots of organized sports there. So you can see that it does allow community to develop in that way. And it's also really interesting because if you go to certain places in the evening or certain schoolyards on the Saturday mornings, you see cricket games and you see cricket practices because a large proportion of the population is Asian, mostly from the Indian subcontinent. Many of them first-generation immigrants, others first descendants. Well, you know, you've mentioned a couple of things here that indicate that maybe this mountain house vision has fallen short a little bit. Very long commute hours, only 1,500 jobs. Are there other ways from your perspective that mountain house has fallen short? I would say mountain house has fallen short in the notion of creating exactly what California forever promises and what they implicitly promised, which is kind of the framework of how neighborhoods and cities used to be with, you know, a a central hub where people come together and everything like that. The thing with a place like Mountain House is that it works for a fairly narrow band of people. If you are a parent, you know, if you're a couple that has a few kids and things like that, But there's not much for kids to do outside of the organized sports. There aren't many places for you to go and meet people. I mean, it's a very family-centric community, which isn't a bad thing. If that is not your exact life, there's not much else in the way of options. Mm -hmm. I talked to a broker who had one woman sell her house recently, and she was a well-off single professional In her mid-30s, she had bought a house a few years ago. She liked her house. There was a lot about Mountain House she liked, but she essentially told him, I am moving to the South Bay. This is ridiculous. I have to find a life. I want to find a mate. I want to Mm -hmm. live the life of a 30-something. And I can't do that out here. Right. You know, a big thing about a successful city or a successful community is it allows for all forms of diversity. And Mountain House excels in some ways, but in lots of ways, it is just, it's very narrow broadcasting. Why is starting a new city from a blank slate not a foolproof way to build a utopian community? Chronicle Urban Design critic John King shares after a quick break. But before we go... 
We're working on an episode to understand how political debates in the Bay Area are impacting your life. Have you had tense conversations with family over the dinner table about issues like public safety or gotten caught in some heated NIMBY versus YIMBY discussions with friends? Tell us about the local issues that have become the most divisive by emailing us at fifth at sfchronicle.com or give us a call at 415-777-6156. You could be a part of a future Fifth Admission episode. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. John King, when Mountain House was first conceived, it was envisioned as this self-contained place with good housing and jobs. But as you described before the break, the town center is mostly bare. There are only about 1,500 jobs there. Why has it been so challenging to create a thriving, bustling city? The idea, and I believe this was a genuine idea or hope in the early 2000s and the 1990s, was Silicon Valley has spilled into the Tri-Valley area. You have these tech companies and downtown companies and white-collar corporations moving into office parks in Pleasanton and San Ramon and Dublin. We're going to be the next one. But in fact, the Altamont Pass is a very big psychological bar to people. The other thing is that And this fascinates me as someone who writes about urban design. Long-range plans are at the mercy of the real world. Mm -hmm. For instance, you had all these ideas about having lots of shopping out there, jobs in terms of going to the office. But when this was conceived, Amazon didn't exist. Cell phones that you could do your whole life on didn't exist. All these things that are now just second nature to us that take away the need for what's called bricks and mortar retailing or just basically face-to-face buying something, you don't need to do that. Another thing is that in terms of the offices, companies don't need a physical presence. You can be across the world equally fine. You mentioned how urban design is at the mercy of the real world. When Mountain House launched, there was no shortage of buyers. The demand to buy a house was really high. But then the 2008 recession hit, and it tested the town's resiliency like other cities across the country. How did it do then and also when the pandemic hit in 2020? Yeah, in 2008, when the recession hit, Mountain House was broadsided. Well, all of a sudden, people lost their jobs and housing prices fell. So anyone who had the wherewithal and the ability to do so moved closer to their jobs, heading back over the Altamont Pass. And then also at one point, I think 90% of all houses in Mountain House were worth less than the mortgage that people had used to buy them. Hmm. And the average amount that they were underwater, to use the real estate lingo, the average amount was $120,000. So you had all these people who were losing all this equity in their homes that they had scraped the money to buy 
So you had foreclosures going on. You know, you had like three or four years where almost nothing got built. They were very vulnerable then to a recession. The pandemic actually did Mountain House a lot of good. All of a sudden, it was like, well, I'm going to be working from home. As the pandemic went on, it was more, well, I'll be going to the office every now and then. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, the occasional long commute isn't that big a deal. And the houses being built out in Mountain House tend to be very big houses. So if you don't have a whole bunch of kids, you turn one of the rooms into Mm -hmm. a home office. So the pandemic actually really helped boost Mountain House. So you mentioned that a large population of the Mountain House community are are residents of Indian descent. And I know that you spoke with some of them for your story. What did they say about the town and why they enjoy living there? They tend to be professionals, often in tech or in medicine. What they found pretty quickly as the town started growing and more Indians started moving there, it's like any immigrant community. At some point, it hits a mass where other people in your group want to live there because they're finding community and they're finding social circles. Mm-hmm. For instance, I talked with a doctor. He and his wife are both doctors. They moved out from Virginia. This couple found it very good to be living among other people of their background, which any person tends to be drawn to. And then also the way the houses are designed and as the number of people grew, it became the thing where you'd have elders in India who might come out for two or three or four months at a time to be with their kids, be with their grandkids. And the houses were big enough to have spaces on the ground floor for them. So you start to have an intergenerational mix of people as well. And then you had enough to start a cricket team, which is a very popular sport in India. And now you have a big cricket league that's centered in Tracy. There's no medical facility of any sort in Mountain House. This doctor and his wife, They're starting an urgent care space in the one shopping center there. They figure they'll do good business. Well, John, there are big changes possible on the horizon for Mountain House, including a vote next year on whether to incorporate it as a city and an approved rail link to BART. How might those impact the future of the Mountain House community? In terms of incorporation, Mountain House now operates as an unincorporated part of the county that's run by a special services district set up by the county that's funded by fees from the homes. The idea is once you incorporate and become a city, you have a lot more freedom. So it gives local people more flexibility rather than kind of relying on the county ultimately to make the decisions. So that's the attraction there. In terms of the Rail link, there's something called Valley Link that's going to be setting up several stops to connect to the easternmost BART station. So if you're living in Mountain House, theoretically, you'll just be able to go to the south part of town and hop on a train that takes you to the Livermore stop or the East Dublin stop. And then from there, you're off to work. So theoretically, that'll bring a little bit more life and transportation options into the city. (laughs) Right. People living there will have an easier way to get into the heart of the Bay Area than they do now. Well, going back to California forever, at the moment, it's still just a bunch of 
bear land and a glossy sales pitch. What do you think are the lessons you see for that project in Mountain House after spending some time there? I think the lessons are for people reviewing the project and for regular people looking at it, don't believe what you see. And this isn't necessarily because the developers are shysters trying to sell you a deal. It's just in today's world, you cannot plan 20 or 30 years out and expect things to behave in any predictable manner. So that's Mm -hmm. one lesson. Another lesson is take everything with a grain of salt because renderings and projections are done in a way that put the best possible gloss on what things will become. The reality is not only do conditions change and technologies change, but also when you have a complicated master plan where the county allows someone to move forward, in the case of Mountain House, it's 965 pages, there's always going to be flexibility for the developer. And at some point, no matter how altruistic and high-minded the developer is, that developer will probably sell chunks of land off to regular home builders or regular shopping center developers. And they're going to be wanting to build their standard product there. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that there shouldn't be growth out there. It's not to say that it's all a bait and switch. But the rosy promises very rarely bear any resemblance to the final result. One thing that I've been thinking about since all this coverage of California forever has come out is, you know, what makes an ideal city? What makes an ideal town? It feels a little bit risky to follow someone else's idea of that. I think that is fair because what people would tend to consider the successful cities, they evolve over time. They have good times and they have bad times. They have lots of bumps along the way. And the idea that you can just unroll a perfect city has been tried again and again, and it has fallen short again and again. That's why I did the piece. Mountain House was conceived in the same way as California Forever, which is if we start from scratch and build anew, we can do it better. And the notion that we know better than all those other generations that have tried and failed to pull it off is a long shot. John King is the Chronicle's urban design critic. To read his piece about Mountain House and to check out ongoing coverage of California Forever, check out sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. The Fifth Emission team includes co-host Laura Wenis, producer Keith Menconi, audio engineer Gary Baca, and editor Sarah Feldberg. I'm Cecilia Lay. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>